are listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about creativity, but first, let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what's been happening with you? Our bathroom is currently torn apart. (laughs) We started a bathroom remodel over the new year. I took the kids to Missouri for six days, and Neil was here demolishing it and getting going. We were hoping he would make a lot of progress while we were out of the house, and he did. But we've been home for a week. We're still without a functioning shower. (laughs) We're all sharing the half bath. It's all very special. At least you have a toilet. We do. We do have a functioning toilet. The seat is cracked, and it is now patched with duct tape. So there is that, (laughs) but it works. (laughs) I meant to ask if you could use the seat from the old toilet that's out. I had mentioned that. Neil was not excited about the idea of adding any more work, even switching a seat on the toilet to his plate. I could probably go out in the shed and get it if I wanted to, but it's working. (laughs) We're fine. (laughs) Just rolling with the deck tape. (laughs) And I know this is just kind of how any kind of renovation project goes, Mm -hmm. which is you think you can get more done in a given amount of time than you can, and things come up, and it just takes longer and drags on. So I am optimistic That we'll have our shower up and running within a week. Yay. But I'm also accepting that it may be more like two weeks by the time all is said and done. But I am really looking forward to having it completed because before our shower and bathtub were disgusting and I was embarrassed to have guests use them. (laughs) So (laughs) I always use the disclaimer, I promise I cleaned it. (laughs) So that's never a good sign when you have to warn guests before they go into your bathroom that it has been cleaned. (laughs) Whatever happens, it will be an improvement. Exactly. What's been happening with you lately? The latest news from our house is that Plum has been in preschool for two weeks. Yay. And she loves it. The transition was very smooth. The teachers were lovely. She loves the other kids. And I've just been thinking a lot about how this is sort of the first thing of her having her own life separate from us. Mm-hmm. So when I walked up the other day, one of the teachers said, oh, there's Plum's mom. And one of the other little girls there said, Plum, your mom's here. (laughs) And it was this thing of, I don't know who this kid is Mm -hmm. who was addressing my daughter, but she knew and, you know, had an interaction there. So she's growing up. She's her own person. And there will just be more of that. Yes. Jen Derry had a really beautiful blog post about that very idea that I remember reading when HP was getting ready to start going into care places and Mm. her son was going into full-time daycare and just talking about that concept of he's going to have this whole world that I'm not a part of and that start of the independence and of course, our kids are always their own people and always have been from the moment they're born. But right. I think that feels more concrete or it becomes more obvious when there's these scenarios where really you don't know what's happening right. while they're there Yeah, in a way that's healthy and good, mm-hmm. but is also just that recognition as a parent. Yeah, it's really different. Now let's talk about what we've been reading. Sarah, what's your latest read? Mine is Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng, and I debated picking another book because I think it was only two episodes ago that I talked about 
everything I never told you. I think so. And I thought we should have more diversity of authors. I shouldn't talk about her book again. But it was so good that (laughs) I have to share it. (laughs) If we had recorded the best books of 2017, actually at the very end of December, this would have made it for sure. Hmm. It's also set in Ohio, this time in the late 90s, and it follows two families. One is your typical suburban family, parents, four kids, doing life exactly as they're expected to. And then a new family moves to town that is an artist who's the mom and her daughter. And they always travel. They move every few months to year. She does an art project and then they move on. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the daughter gets to know the kids of the perfect family, and then lots of things ensue. There's also a parallel storyline happening where a white couple in the town is trying to adopt a Chinese baby. Mm. And then there's a lot of questions about being raised by people who are not part of your culture, and what does that mean, and what does it mean to be a good parent and... Does having money and resources make you a good parent or does blood make you a good parent? And the town is divided on that issue as well. Mm. And then it's all interconnected with what's happening between these two families. It was so well written and Ng's character development is impressive. Just a few pages or paragraphs into meeting a character, you feel like you understand them in a way that Even if you don't agree with what you're doing, you know exactly why they are doing it and you empathize with them, Mm -hmm. which I think is such a challenge to accomplish as a writer and such a joy to read as a reader. Absolutely. There was really nothing I didn't like. I wholeheartedly recommend this book. (laughs) I read The Rosie Project by Graham Simpson and... The main character, Dawn, is what felt like to me a caricature of a nerdy scientist who can't find a wife. So then he devises a project with an extensive questionnaire in order to find one, and hilarity ensues. And there's sort of this undercurrent throughout the whole thing that Dawn is not neurotypical, so that he's somewhere on the autism spectrum. But that was less of a part of the book for me. Because it didn't feel that far off from scientists that I've interacted with in my life. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was a quick, fun read. There are other scientists in the book, too. And I would say they're all pretty stereotypical, which wasn't my complete favorite. But also, I think that there are stereotypes for a reason. So I would recommend it. It's kind of a romantic comedy in book format, and it didn't take long to read. So if that's something you're looking for. You've read this one too, right, Sarah? I did. I read it a couple years ago, and it's interesting hearing your take on it because you have so much more experience dealing with and talking to scientists on a regular basis. So for me, the look at scientists wasn't as strong as the look at someone who wasn't neurotypical and what that might feel like from his perspective. And I think maybe I just accepted the stereotypes as they were, that that wasn't the first thing that I would use to describe the book. Hmm. So I read the second one as well, and I will say this one was much better, that I found the second one to be a bit of a disappointment, Mm -hmm. and that it felt like the things that were fun and light and interesting in the first one became overdone almost Mm -hmm. or pushed too far it felt less believable to me, where this one, it felt like, oh, okay, I can see this. 
Yeah. I think I'm going to avoid the second one based on your not-so-glowing recommendation. Let's start our discussion of creativity by talking first about how we see ourselves. Sarah, do you see yourself as a creative person? I don't think I do. At least not in what I see as being traditionally creative in terms of art or music or creative writing. I did piano growing up and loved that. But even within that, it wasn't something that I ever felt gifted at. It was something I enjoyed and something I liked working on, Mm -hmm. but it never felt like it came naturally to me. And maybe that's not a bad thing. I think that it's often the case that what looks easy or natural is not and is really just people working on things that are creative. But I've still never identified with the term creativity in my own life. Hmm. To me, that involves thinking outside the box, which I don't think I'm very good at. (laughs) And for me, it's more, here's an idea and I'm going to execute it and feeling straightforward or here's something that I want to work on and I will work on it. But creativity for me has this image of a spark or something within ready to burst forth. And that has just (laughs) never been my experience. (laughs) What about you? How do you see yourself? This is so interesting because I definitely see myself as a creative person, and I think it's a big part of my self-concept. Whether it's objectively true or not, and this reminds me kind of of the episode where we talked about minimalism, Mm -hmm. where that's a label that you seem to strongly identify with and that I identify with less strongly. Yeah. So I do think that I solve problems creatively, but I couldn't think of a good example. So maybe I really don't. (laughs) You know, in terms of kind of defining creativity in a traditional way, like a musical or fine art or creative writing way, I have done many of those things in my life. And I think I do less of them now, but I also really enjoy things like crafty projects. Mm Mm-hmm. So sewing and home projects and basic self-taught graphic design and photography, also some sort of non-traditional creative things like throwing parties in a theme, which I've done a lot of and feels creative. Yeah, none of those things sound very fun to me. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe if we get to make our own definitions of what creativity is and that's how I'm defining it, then sure, I'm creative. I mean, I feel like that's a big part of who I am. I think part of it for me is that creativity, it's always been something I have to work at. It's not something that comes naturally to me. And that hasn't ever felt bad to me. Like I still enjoy it, but I think that separates me from feeling like it's part of who I am. So for example, when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to take dance classes. So a friend and I signed up to take beginner ballet and beginner modern Mm -hmm. when we were 16 at this dance studio. And it was classes for adults. So it wasn't like we were in with the five-year-olds who were also (laughs) learning the basic positions of ballet. Which is probably good. (laughs) But it was something I really enjoyed. And I love having that space that was so different from everything else I was doing and from the pressures of school and from who I saw myself as. Mm -hmm. And I loved that ability to step into something different and to see... I can also be and do this, even if I'm not doing it well, and even if it doesn't come naturally, that those doors aren't closed to me. And I really love that. But that doesn't make me feel like a creative person. That just makes me feel like a person who does enjoy creative pursuits. I don't know why that feels so different to me. Yeah, it sounds like kind of a definitional problem Mm -hmm. where you don't consider yourself creative because it's not easy 
for you necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's necessarily easy for me either, mm-hmm. but it is just that I enjoy it maybe. But it sounds like you enjoy it too. I'm having, <laughs> I can't quite pinpoint where our differences are. It's really just self-perception, it sounds like. I think so. Yes. Because I think we both do creative things. Yeah. And I think for me, it is about not seeing myself that way. As in, if somebody were to say, list five words that describe you or 10 words that describe you, creative would not be on my list. Hmm. Probably even if I had to list 20 words, creative (laughs) wouldn't be on the list. And maybe that's problematic. I'm looking forward to exploring that more as we continue this discussion. Now I think my definition focuses more on the actual word create. So when I say my creative projects, I think about writing and podcasting and that I am creating something that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. But it still feels outside of that realm of the fine arts that I traditionally think of it with, that it feels more like work and just doing the work. Mm -hmm. But it's still really satisfying to me. Yeah. Do you feel like there's inspiration in the creative work that you're doing? Hmm. Because I think inspiration is another word that you hear associated with creativity a lot. I think the thing is that I don't think so. Hmm. I call it my creative projects because I think that's what I'm supposed to say. But to me, they actually (laughs) just feel like projects because there's so much of it. Of course, there's some creativity involved, but it also is like, okay, we have a topic. We're figuring out what we're going to say. We're recording it. We're editing it. It feels very work straightforward to me. Uh But I guess that's what creativity is. Yeah. I love Elizabeth Gilbert's book about big magic. It's like, it's about showing up. It's about doing the work. It's not about these idealistic, I just sit down and paint my masterpiece because inspiration lands on me. And the muse is there. Yes. No, I was thinking of big magic too. And I think we're going to talk about it a little more later. Mm -hmm. But she does say that you just show up. Mm -hmm. And you just do the work until that inspiration comes. You do sort of the formula. Like you say, we Mm -hmm. have a topic and we record it. I mean, that feels creative to me and sort of innovating within the work that you're already Mm. doing feels creative. I like that. So things like what you have done, thinking up ideas for promoting our podcast to more people and finding more listeners, Mm -hmm. those have felt really creative to me. And things that you've done within the context of this creative work that we're already doing that feels like we just do it, but you're innovating within that. And when I think of creativity, I think of innovating within things I'm already doing. So telling a story a slightly different way when I'm writing a science article Mm -hmm. or giving a science communication workshop for scientists, figuring out a better way to do something and sort of solving a problem within something I'm already doing does feel creative to me. So I would include that in my definition of it too. I think my definition is narrow, but I'm still having trouble expanding it. And I see value in all of those things. But I think to me, I find value without labeling them as creativity. Mm. And that I think I kind of like having it in the separate space. And part of it is that I want more creativity in my life. And if I do too much, twisting isn't quite the word that I'm going for. But if I reframe my current life and work as being creative... I tell myself that I have it in my life when really I wished we had a piano and that I was playing piano and including more music in my life. Or Mm. I would enjoy taking an adult art class, which isn't something I'm doing in the near future because time, life, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to let 
go of that because I think it's valuable and important. And so if I keep telling myself I'm creative when I really don't feel like I am, then I think, (laughs) do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. But I don't feel that way at all about myself. So interesting. (laughs) So how do you think that your creative life has changed since you were young? I think when I was young, I was much more artistic. And I think that was part of my life that it had to be in school because you just did more art and music and things through the curriculum. Mm -hmm. But even then, I wouldn't have called myself an exceptionally creative child. I think I was fairly in the box. Just things like school projects. Just tell me the information and give me a test. Please don't make me do any kind of project, Mm -hmm. art, play, anything. Just let me show you I know the material. I still feel like that in lots of things. Like, let's cut out the fluff and just do the most basic part of it and move on. But I still feel like I sought out these other opportunities that were more separate. So things like taking a dance class or in college, my senior year, I took a drawing class, which Mm -hmm. was really hard for me and really uncomfortable in a lot of ways because it wasn't something I was good at. And I did just have to show up and keep trying. And it was really satisfying and something I looked forward to much more than I thought I would. I feel like there was a huge blank space for creativity in my life from graduating from college, really until recently with starting doing more writing and podcasting, where I didn't really have music or art or even things that I could be reframing as being creative. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was just living life, which I was enjoying, and reading, which where does reading fall on the creativity spectrum for you? Because it's consumptive, not creating. Yeah, but I think interacting with somebody else's creative work could fall on the spectrum, Mm -hmm. especially too when we're talking about books on the pod or when we're talking about books in a book club. Mm -hmm. My definition is broad again. (laughs) What a surprise. (laughs) So I think that reading is a place for me to find inspiration Mm. and that that has the elements of creativity in it. Yeah. So I have continued that. But I do feel like the concept of creativity and wanting to seek it out more in my life and feeling that it had been missing is more recent. Really since having kids has been when it's been on my radar again. Hmm. What has your creativity evolution been like? So I did lots of theater and music as a kid and young adult. I played the piano growing up, then the French horn. My sister is really musical. She's musically talented. She composed our podcast music. I don't know if I've ever said that on the pod before. Thanks, Audrey. Yeah. (laughs) So we did a lot of music together growing up. And I never did much in the way of visual art, but my parents both modeled creating and making things. So things like sewing, innovative ways of dealing with school projects and Halloween costumes. So there was a lot of that just sort of in our family. It's interesting to me to reflect on my family as a whole and to think about whether I consider us to be creative or not. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I don't mean that as an insult to my family, but my... (laughs) immediate family, as in my siblings and parents, I don't feel like there were a lot of the things like you were describing, that all of the kids did music to some degree, but that felt very standard to me Mm -hmm. across just being a kid growing up in a middle class home in the town where we did. Yeah. But in general, it wasn't something that was modeled or prioritized in our house. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't looked down upon. My parents were always very supportive of anything that we wanted to do. 
but it didn't feel like it came naturally to our family. Hmm. I would say that Neil is a much more creative person than I am, that for him, it seems more like what you're talking about with your parents in terms of being really practically creative. Hmm. If there's something that we need in our house, his first answer is not to go buy something, but to think about how he could make it or rig something up or come up with a different way of thinking about it. Or, oh, we need to get a gift for somebody for a wedding. Well, he wants to make something mm-hmm. or for a baby, he wants to create something. And that wouldn't be my first instinct. Hmm. So I find a lot of inspiration in just the way that he looks at the world and things and is able to see solutions that I wouldn't have come to on my own. Hmm. It's interesting that you brought up Neil's sort of practical creativity, because I feel like that's how I am, like the sort of creative problem solving, not necessarily create as in making things, but creatively solving problems. I feel like I really value that in myself. I like that. Mm -hmm. And it feels really satisfying when you hit on that creative solution. Mm -hmm. I think Andrew's less like that than I am, but he is creative in a lot of ways. So I feel like his work is a lot about creative problem solving. You know, science fails a lot. Mm-hmm. So he's almost constantly solving problems. And then his main hobby is brewing beer. Yes. And he has had a lot of success tweaking recipes and developing his own signature beers from recipes that already exist. So that's another thing where you're kind of working within a structure that's already there, but innovating in small ways. Mm-hmm. And the beer that he makes is delicious. So <laughs> success. Yeah, everybody's benefiting there. It's interesting, too, what you were saying about music, about how it just felt like that was just a thing that we did and it wasn't necessarily a creative thing. And I think a lot of creative things are like that. It's, again, just about showing up and doing the work. Mm -hmm. So if you're playing piano, there's a lot of technical stuff you have to learn first before you can get to the point of making something new out of it. I guess I see the beginning parts as still creative, even if what you're doing is like rote. Mm -hmm. So it's just learning where to put your hands or just memorizing scales or whatever. But that still feels creative to me because it has the potential to sort of lead into other things. And I had an amazing piano teacher for the last part of my piano career, (laughs) junior high and high school. She really gave me permission to love it without being good at it. Oh, that's so good. It's not that I was a terrible pianist, but I had friends who were winning state competitions and who were amazing at what they were doing. And for her, the most important thing was to love it and to get joy from it. And Mm. she also was an excellent teacher on the technicalities, but that the first thing is music is for everyone. And it's not just for the people with this gift. We all get to come to it and we all get to participate. And there's no requirements to love playing the piano. Mm -hmm. That is something that I've taken with me into other things. I think that gave me permission to take the drawing course and love it, even if I wasn't any good. Right. And that those pursuits are for everyone who wants to enjoy them, not just for the people who excel. Right. So growing up, we did a lot of that. And I took that into college where I played music and did a lot of crafty things before having Plum. And then it kind of dropped off a bit, but I still get sort of a desire to make things or a desire to do something or create a lot. And like I said before, every time I do a workshop or write a story, there are aspects of that that feel creative to me. So 
how do you prioritize creativity in your life now? I think that just comes back to what is the definition of creativity. (laughs) And what I wrote on our outline is right now I'm not doing that very well. I think I do make time for the commitments that I have in terms of this podcast and my other one, but it's been hard for me to do more than that or to find time for more than that. It also helps to have the accountability of something that has to come out and has a schedule. And I'm having a lot of trouble prioritizing other pursuits outside of reading for fun because my time feels so limited. Mm -hmm. So if we are counting reading as a sort of pre-creative activity, Mm -hmm. then I am prioritizing that. (laughs) Nice. And it's something I would like to find more space for and that I see more space opening up as the kids get older. And I think part of that is wanting to create a home where creativity is valued Mm -hmm. and seen as more natural. So things like getting a piano again and playing that, I'd like that to be part of my kids' childhood. Mm -hmm. Right now, I feel like they bring plenty of creativity to the table, but Mm -hmm. that I want to make sure that we're finding ways to foster that and outlets for that in our home. Yeah, I like that. How are you doing with prioritizing creativity? It's so interesting because I feel like I'm really terrible at doing basic self-care things like showering. Well, me too right now, friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you have a good excuse, though. (laughs) Things that nurture my body, exercise, (laughs) sleep is hard for me. (laughs) But this feels like a self-care practice, nurturing creativity, because it feels really important to me, because we've now shown clearly that it's a big part of my self-concept. I think I'm actually pretty good at this. So I get into the mood for creative projects and just do them. Like this week, I've been totally swamped. I have so many writing deadlines. But last night, I spent a good three hours working on a birthday banner for a friend's baby. That's a project I've done before. So sort of the conception of it isn't as creative this time. But picking the fabrics and the colors and putting them together and all of that still feels creative. And I love it. And I'm, you know, I'm doing it in the midst of a totally crazy week. So mm-hmm. guess I'm good at it. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked a little about this already, but do you have creative goals? I think that part of the reason why I feel like I'm not prioritizing it well is because it isn't a priority for me. And so for this question, I don't feel like I have huge creative goals right now. Mm-hmm. I feel pretty okay with the level that I'm at. And in the future, I do have things that I want to include, like more music again or taking an adult art class. But for me, most of them are future-oriented right now because I don't think I see it as as much of a self-care practice as you do. Hmm. It feels like more work and that while I do find it satisfying when I take on a project and complete it, I think right now I more enjoy reading my book and sleeping. Nice. So my creative goals are, and I said this in our New Year episode, that I would like to do more creative and personal essay type writing this year. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much I'm going to push myself to do that because I do feel pretty satisfied creatively in the way that you're fine with the level of priority it has in your life. I am too, and I feel like I'm getting what I need. But I also have a ukulele that I would like to learn to play. Mm. Mostly because that feels socially creative. Like a ukulele is a really good instrument that you could just have with you that you could like join in on a jam. Yes. But 
I have a lot of work to do before I could join in on a jam. And so it's a little bit daunting to think about that goal. But other than that, my goals are to keep doing what I'm doing. Good for us being adequately creative (laughs) at the moment. Pat ourselves on the back. So let's wrap up by talking about our favorite places to look for inspiration or maybe if you are feeling sort of like you're in a creative slump, where do you get the kick in the pants to get out of it? So the first one that I thought of was Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. Yes. I wasn't sure how much I would love that book and I should not have doubted. It felt to me the way my piano teacher made me feel, which is creativity is for everyone. It's not Mm -hmm. an exclusive club, and we all benefit from that, and it's part of being human. Mm -hmm. It's not about making money from it. It's not about having a career or becoming an expert. It's about connecting to an essential part of who you are. Yeah. And I feel like her definition of creativity, too, is really broad. Mm -hmm. That you can go into it thinking it's going to be about creative writing. Right. Because that's her thing. Or it's going to be about making like physical art or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she takes a really wide view. Yes. Of what could fit in. And that it's so personal. And I loved that. Mm -hmm. One of the stories that stuck with me from that book was about a woman who used to figure skate Mm. and then started making time to go figure skating again as an adult, not with any eye toward competing, not with an eye towards anything other than doing something she loves. And that the value in that is the activity itself. And that is a definition of creativity I can really get behind and... While it's not the first thing that comes to my mind, it feels the most true. Mm -hmm. The other thing I do when I'm looking for inspiration is reading, both reading fiction, but I would say for me, it's even more reading nonfiction. Hmm. So if I'm wanting to be inspired to write, reading nonfiction books about writers, Hmm. talking about writing is really inspirational for me. And I think I find that in memoirs as well, just hearing other people's stories makes me want to be more intentional about my own story and crafting the kind of life that I want to live. And I feel like that is a precursor to creativity. Nice. Where do you turn to for inspiration? I find a lot of inspiration from other people. For a while I had, we called it a stitch and bitch group, but we would get together and do a craft project. So kind of like a book club. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people in the group had kids and it sort of... (laughs) went by the wayside a little bit, but we had a reunion this weekend Mm. and it reminded me how fun it is to be creative in community. Yes. And then I've talked about this some already, but the people in my family are really inspiring to me. So my sister with the music and she thinks really creatively about her work too. Mm. My mom sews a lot. She sews clothes for plum projects for her house and she also does fused glass work that's really beautiful that's something she's started within the past I think couple of years and then my mom's sister is a mixed media artist and her work is incredible my sister-in-law is a very talented musician so sort of feel like there's a lot around me that is creative I love that idea of other people being the inspiration and the community around creativity, because Mm -hmm. I think there's often this conversation about how social media makes people feel inferior or less than, Mm -hmm. or that if you see other people's success, it makes you feel like you can't have that or envious, where 
I really find what you're saying that seeing other people succeed, to me, it makes me feel like I can do that too. Mm -hmm. Or look at what they're doing. You know, they're making it work with kids or they're making it work in these all these different circumstances. Right. To me, I see their success as a beacon and as an invitation. And I think it's so true that creativity, it's not the artist locked up somewhere on their own, that it does happen in the world. Mm -hmm. So I think that's all we're going to talk about about creativity today. But listeners, we would love to hear from you about how your creative life looks, where you look for inspiration, and how you prioritize creativity in your life. Let's wrap up by talking about what we've been eating I have a paneer update. Mm. So you inspired me, Sarah, when you made paneer a couple months ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. And you did it on the stovetop, I think. Yes. And we talked about how we could use the yogurt function Mm -hmm. instead in the Instant Pot to make the paneer. So I had milk that was about to go bad. Then I Googled Instant Pot paneer, thinking that I would get the instructions for using the yogurt function. Yes. But what I got instead were instructions for doing it under pressure. Okay. So you pour, I think, a half gallon of milk in, and then you add the acid, lemon juice or vinegar, and then you pressurize it for four minutes and do natural pressure release for like 10 minutes. And then when you take the lid off, you have the curds already. Hmm. So it just does it super fast. Okay. So then I strain that in the filters that I normally use for yogurt and, you know, salted it and pressed it between plates. And on the same site where I found that paneer recipe, she also had a recipe for sog paneer. So the spinach and spices and onions and tomatoes dish, which I love. That's what I often order at Indian restaurants. And that was also in the Instant Pot. And it was a similar thing where you do high pressure for four or five minutes and then natural pressure release for 10 and then just do the hand blender. And is that frozen spinach that you use then? I used partially fresh and partially frozen because we had some fresh that needed to be used and then it wasn't quite enough. Mm -hmm. So I had some in the freezer. So I used that too. Okay. We will link to the recipes. It was a little bit hot as it was. And so I would actually probably not add any heat to start with and then just let people put cayenne or whatever on their own. Mm -hmm. And I would salt the paneer more probably. But other than that, it was awesome. Did your paneer hold together really well? Because my problem when I made it was the crumbliness. It did. I was able to cube it and it stayed together in the sog really well. Okay. I mean, part of the reason I was able to do that is because it was so quick to do the paneer, you know, so that I had a lot of time to press it, even though I didn't start that early. Right. I mean, I was able to press it for like an hour and a half while I was doing the spinach and stuff. And something else that made this amazing or that will the next time. I make it is that for Christmas, my sister got me an extra Instant Pot insert. Mm. There was a lot of pot washing this time. Yes. But now, oh no, I'll just throw that in the sink and let someone else wash it for me, (laughs) wash it later. (laughs) What have you been eating? So when we were in Missouri a couple weeks ago, my mom made a shrimp and corn risotto. That sounds amazing. This is probably the fourth time she's made this when I visit. And whenever we talk about what food we want to eat while we're there, I always say the shrimp and corn risotto, please, Mm. (laughs) because it is delicious. So I will try and find a recipe. I know she had two that she was combining based Mm. on different experimentation with it, but it feels like a really indulgent dish, Mm. Mm -hmm. and especially so when 
I am not the one stirring the risotto the whole time. Absolutely. Thank you, mom and sister and brother-in-law, for doing all of the stirring for us to enjoy. (laughs) That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. You can connect with us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or by emailing us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, please recommend it to a friend who you think would like it. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. All right, I'm going to get the dog. Okay. Okay, sorry. No Hopefully problem. she'll just lay down. Uh, She's pooping in the neighbor's yard. <laughs> That's really <laughs> special. There's something that, whoops. Sorry, microphone hitting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> try again. <laughs>